one of the simple uh, expressions that I've heard is clean the temple and sit. Uh, when we came to this room this morning, the building that was already clean, so we could sit. One of the one of the um, opportunities when sitting is to learn about our consciousness, learn about the kind of mind where there is the appearance of a self. And to quietly observe the functioning of the self. to observe that there's storytelling going on in the consciousness. Stories about a self. Stories stories about uh, the relationship between self and others. quietly exploring the farthest reaches of the causes and conditions of these stories of self and others is the exact transmission of a verified, of a proven Buddha. While contemplating stories of self, while contemplating the process of storytelling, which actually is the self, it may be necessary to repeatedly clean the temple 
and then sit again and study the self and clean the temple again. During a period of meditation, there may be quite a bit of temple cleaning necessary. So as I said earlier, we come into the room, the room's already been cleaned. So another way to say it is we come in the room, and when we enter the room that's clean, we don't bring anything into the room. That when we come into the meditation hall, we give up everything. So that we can sit. And then, again, we enter the next moment and give up everything so we can sit. Repeatedly cleaning the temple, emptying the temple, giving up everything, and contemplating the process of storytelling about self and other. In this, pro- in this process of study, we discover that the self is a process, and there's no way to grasp inside or outside of the process. That the self is not a fixed thing, but is a, a narrative flow. But there needs to be repeated giving up of everything and observing that in order to enter and live in the reality of the self. There is a self, it's just not a thing. There is a self, but it's a process of causes and conditions. And the Buddhas discovered this process of causation about the self and are thereby Buddhas. And once they discover this, they teach it to other people who have not yet learned it. I remember hearing a conversation between Suzuki Roshi and one of the female students at the San Francisco Zen Center. I wasn't at the talk. I don't think I was at the talk. I heard a recording of it. It sounds like it was in San Francisco because I could hear the cars going by outside. (coughs) And uh, the woman said to him, Something like, yesterday you said that, something like, we need to be enlightened in order to help people. And then she said, but if that's the case, most of us here would not be able to help people.
And then the teacher, Suzuki Roshi, said, uh, enlightenment, uh, mm, yeah, that's kind of difficult what that is. But um, for bodhisattvas, enlightenment is understanding that others are yourself. Understanding that others are yourself is how to help others. I also heard that uh, a long time ago there was a Buddha named Shakyamuni and he, uh, he went, he took his bowl and put his robe on and went to town to beg for food one day. And after collecting the food and having his meal, he then um, um, kind of um, tidied up his, his meditation space and went off on a walk. At that time, apparently not too far from where he was living, there was a robber. A robber whose name was Angulimala. Anguli means finger, and mala means like a, a necklace. And he, was, uh, he wore a necklace of fingers of people that he had murdered. After he murdered them, he cut their fingers off and added them to his necklace. He seemed to be really enjoying murdering people and priding himself that he could murder like 10, a group of 10 people he could murder, or 20 or 30 or 50. He put on armor and he had a sword and he would attack villages and kill everyone and robbed them. So apparently this was known and uh, this friendly guy 
named Shakyamuni decided to take a walk and he walked in the direction of where he heard this mass murderer was living. And as he approached the road to where the murderer was living, the people in the area said, um, they didn't, I don't know if they knew that this was a Buddha, that this was a, good, a great friend to all beings, but they could see that he was a, a recluse, uh, a mendicant, uh, a beggar who asked for support so he could meditate. So they called him recluse. And they said, um, the road you're going on is towards this murderous robber. And he's very fierce. And the Buddha listened to the people and silently walked on. And a third, second time, people said that to him, and he listened to them in silence and walked on. And a third time, they warned him, and he listened in silence and walked on. And then, uh, as he got closer to where this the murderer Angulimala was, Angulimala saw him. And uh, I think Angulimala said, you know, I can, I can murder large groups of people, and here comes this recluse who thinks maybe he can, you know, withstand me all by himself. What if I go and murder him now? How about that? So, this uh, powerful murderer started running at the Buddha with his sword. And uh, the Buddha just kept walking, but he, he couldn't catch him. So he yelled out, Recluse, what's going on? I'm running at top speed and I'm not catching you. Why can't I catch you? And the Buddha said, oh, oh first he ran after the Buddha. And then he stopped when he realized he wasn't catching up with them. And from that stop position, he said, recluse, why can't I, why am I not catching you? And the Buddha said, because I've stopped. And now you have stopped too. And Angulimala stopped at that moment, killing people, and went to the Buddha and bowed to the Buddha and asked to go for refuge in the Buddha and become the Buddha's friend. And the Buddha said, come. And he went, and he became Buddha's disciple. And their friendship, the story of their friendship goes on, but I, 
I'm going to pause there and just show that much of their story. That the Buddha took a walk because he heard about this person who needed a friend. And he had a friendship called the, the Way of Buddha, which he brought to this murderer. And uh, he, could, he could show this friendship. And the murderer could wake up and see it and be converted by this friendship. Uh, Shakyamuni, Shakya is the name of a clan that he, was a, that he grew up in. And Muni means silent one. All, it's also translated as sage, but uh, it literally means silent one. And I heard in the encouragements for Sashin that were given yesterday, uh, a lot of appreciation for silence. Did you hear that? What did you say? What did you say about silence? It's true nature of mind. Yeah. So here's this silent one <laughs> who takes a walk to visit somebody who <laughs> needs a friend, who has no friends. So he's a friend to somebody who had no friends. Nobody thought he was their friend, but. Buddha. And he didn't think anybody was his friend. But then he realized that the silent one was his, was his friend. So I'm, I'm associating the silence of the Buddha with the friendship of the Buddhas. Buddhas are silent friends. But they can talk and walk. The silence is, uh, you know, that self, others are self. That's the silence of the story of self and others. Self and others is words, uh, is talk. That's all it is, is talk. When you realize that, self and other are silent. And that in that silence of self and other, all beings are saved. The Buddha did not just stay in his community of monks and sit silently. He got up and walked to town and asked for food. In his silence, he asked for food. And he ate the meal. And he took a walk. 
and he listened to people tell him to watch out for the murderer. And he went to his friend, the murderer. I have a friend who would say he was my friend because he would say he was everybody's friend, who grew up as a giant in a giant family and became a giant monk. And then he got the idea to walk around the world. So he did. I don't know if he made it, but he went pretty far. And then recently, I, uh, he came to California and uh, he told me about a book he had just written called I think it's called The Terrorist and the Buddha. Perhaps he was trying to point out the relevance of this ancient story to modern times. Because it was a story about Angulimala and the Buddha. And when he was a boy, although he was from a Jain family, <clears throat> still the Jains honor Shakyamuni Buddha, and they tell stories to their children about the Buddha. So he heard the story of Angulimala from his mother. And the way he told the story was that when Buddha went near Angulimala and Angulimala came running over to him, not running over to him, but when he came to get him, uh, the Buddha said, hello, friend. And Angulimala said, I'm not your friend. Nobody's my friend. And the Buddha said, I'm your friend. And they kept talking for quite a while, but Buddha could not convince him that he was his friend. So after some discussion of friendship, which Angulimala did not cotton to, he said, well, I've had enough of this friendship talk. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill you now. And the Buddha said, well, in that case, I think I'll take a walk. And he walked and then, then the, the chase started and with the same conclusion. <laughs> that because the Buddha has not moved, is not moving, nobody can catch him. And again, Angulimala breaks down into silence and stillness, realizing that the Buddha is like him. They both have stopped. And he wants to now devote the rest of his life to studying Buddha's friendship. When you're silent and still, when you're sitting here, in a sense, in solitude, or if you are out in the woods sitting in solitude, you might be just like the ancient meditators who are sitting in solitude. And some of them are sitting in solitude practicing good friendship. 
they're in a room and there's nobody else in the room, but they're practicing friendship. Someone could come into the room, but even if there's nobody in the room with them, they are, some of them, the Buddhas, are practicing friendship in silence and stillness. And when they get up and walk, they're still practicing friendship in silence and stillness. I propose that to you. And when they talk, they're still practicing silence and stillness. The silence and stillness is inconceivable. It's hard to understand how you can be walking and talking and and silent and still. It's hard to understand how you can help everybody without moving a particle of dust. But again, as you may have noticed, I think maybe it says, or maybe it doesn't, in what you chanted yesterday, that without moving a particle of dust, you can save all beings. How do you save all beings without moving a particle of dust? By realizing that everybody is yourself. You don't have to move a particle of dust to realize that. You don't have to move a particle of dust to realize that the particles of dust are not other than yourself. All you need to do is be friendly to all beings right now without moving and you'll realize that you're there yourself and that saves all beings. But that's difficult to understand. It's very deep and quiet and still. It's hard to understand. That's what I'm proposing. This fierce murderer running after the Buddha, for some reason or other, he stopped. And he talked to the Buddha, and the Buddha showed him that he wasn't moving and that they were friends. I also heard Suzuki Roshi say uh, one time at Tassajara, I think it was at Tassajara, um, he was saying something like, uh, well, today we don't have much time for Doksan. We don't have much time for me to talk to you individually about your practice. So maybe I should say something about practice, you know, in general. So I understand that uh, that you have un- 
you have painful legs and um, that you're kind of sleepy, having trouble staying awake in meditation, and um, that you have monkey mind. I don't use that term very often, but he used to use the word monkey mind quite a bit. I would say, I understand that we have karmic consciousness, which is um, unclear and confused and giddy. Do you know what the word giddy means? What does it mean? Jumpy. Jumpy. Mm-hmm. But excited? Yeah. But it's not just just jumpy and excited. It's to be jumpy and excited to, the, to such an extent that you're disoriented. It's not just like, like jumping of a gymnast who's like present and not in a, well-oriented. It's a disorienting jumpiness. And karmic consciousness is, is disorienting. So like, for example, you might want to meditate. You might want to meditate. But in the space where you are, which is karmic consciousness, that space is disorienting, basically. So you keep forgetting that you want to meditate and think maybe it'd be better to eat a banana. <laughs> and if there isn't any bananas, you might want to take the bananas from the people who have the bananas. By the way, I brought some bananas for you today, but just three. (laughs) So you can talk to Monica about it. She probably knows where they are. This is karmic consciousness, where I bring bananas, and you're interested or not. And that's a difficult place to practice being silent and still. But that's the place where you clean the temple, where you give up everything. You give up bananas, and you give up everything. You give up friends, you give up relatives, you give up self, you give up other, and then you look at the situation. So that's monkey mind. Sukhrishi said, I I hear from you people that you have monkey mind, so maybe I should give you some instruction to help you deal with the situation of, I have painful legs, you don't, you do, I'm awake, you're sleepy, or vice versa. This is monkey mind. Maybe I should give you some instruction about how to deal with that. So then he says, uh, I think he said something like, he sort of said, on the side, he said, our ancestor Dungshan, no, I don't think he even said that, but I think Dungshan did say this, this Chinese teacher named Dungshan, uh, uh, I think maybe a monk said to him, what do you do when you're cold? Back in those days, they didn't have the kind of heating we have now. They often got really cold in China. China gets really cold. 
He said, what do you do when you're cold? And, he, and, and Dung Chuan said, cold Buddha. And then, what do you do when it's hot? They didn't have air conditioning. They had fans, but not even, some people didn't even have fans. They had to work out in the heat. What do you do when it's hot? And he said, hot Buddha. When you have monkey mind and, and you practice and you clean the temple, you don't get rid of monkey mind. <clears throat> you just give up everything. And then you have monkey mind, which you give up. And when you give up monkey mind, you have monkey mind Buddha when you practice the Buddha way. And then, he, and then he said <clears throat> something like, Tenryu, Tenryu, oh yeah, which means uh, in the Chinese name is uh, Tianlong, which means celestial dragon. He was the teacher of uh, Gu Te. Chinese name is Judy. So Tianlong, celestial dragon, was the teacher of Judy. And Judy was living in a hut. Probably sitting silent and still, or pretty silent. And this amazing thing happened while he was sitting in his hut. A nun came to see him, a female monastic person, came to visit him. Uh, I don't know, it seems kind of far out. He's in the hut, and this nun comes up and wants to visit him. So I guess she comes up to his hut and knocks on the door. And this nun's name, by the way, was Reality. So this, this woman named Reality comes to visit him and makes herself known to him in his hut and comes into his hut, I guess, but she doesn't take her rain hat off. And she walks around him, I think, three times. And then, she says, and then he says to her, why don't you take your rain hat off? And she said, I'll take my rain hat off if you can say something. And he can't say anything. And then she says, I'll take my rain hat off if you can say something. And he doesn't take his hat off. I'll take my rain hat off if you can say something. And he can't say anything. So she starts to leave. And as she's leaving, he says, it's getting late, and it's dark out there. Why don't you stay the night? And she said, I'll stay the night if you can say something. And he can't, so she leaves.
So you, uh, this story happened more than a thousand years ago, and it's been repeated periodically during that time and been cared for. This is a, a meditation topic in the Zen school, in the Zen family. So you give up everything, and you look at that story as a way to study yourself. See the friendship. So this reality leaves, and there he is, and he th- and he says he laments. I have the body of a man, but I don't have the spirit of a man. I probably should leave my hut and go find a friend to help me find myself. I don't seem to be doing too well here. I'm supposed to be, you know, ready to meet people and understand my relationship with them. But here she comes in, reality comes to visit me, and I can't say a thing. And then the, the, the mountain spirits around his hut say to him, you don't have to leave. You stay here, a great bodhisattva will come to visit you and help you realize who you are. And as it turned out, within 10 days, dragon, a celestial dragon came to visit, to his, came to his hut. This guy's, can you imagine? You're in, to have visitors like this. If you built a hut you know, out in the country here someplace and, and sat there, would a woman named Reality come to visit you and give you a chance like this? Are there friends like that out in the mountains here in the East Coast? We have a lot of them in California. Do you have people like that up in the mountains who come to visit you in your hut? And then, if you can't meet him, then does the celestial dragon come to visit you? <laughs> you know, give you special, a special visitation? This, could this actually be true? And he comes, and when Judy sees Tian Lung, he pays his respects. He bows, and he asks for help. And he tells him what happened with the nun. And Celestial Dragon raises one finger. We don't know exactly which one, but it could be this, this one here, which is some, is this called the index finger? Could be his index finger, could have been his thumb, but index finger is nice because he raised it and then he pointed to guess who? He pointed to Judy, and Judy understood who Judy was. And from then on, when reality came to visit, he would raise one finger. That's how he taught everybody who came to ask him what he understood. What did he understand? Who is this? What is the self? 
raise a finger. So Sizikarish says, when you practice like that, then you are painful legs Buddha, then you are sleepy Buddha, then you are confused Buddha. This is his instruction for Zazen. This is friendship. This one finger is friendship. This is self and other. Yourself is others. Others are yourself. And then he said, Only a couple of you here have this kind of conviction when you're sitting in meditation. The rest of you should get out. I should tell you, get out. Because you don't have this conviction What is the conviction? This is the conviction of friendship to everything. This is the conviction of others are yourself. This is the conviction of painful legs Buddha, monkey mind Buddha. You need this conviction and you need to give up any ideas you have about not being friends to everybody, and also give up every, all the ideas you have about being friends to everybody. And then he says, get out means come back. It means come back after you give up everything. Get out, give up everything, and come back and practice Buddha's friendship with everything. Not too many people heard Suzuki Roshi talk like that. I hope you're not frightened to hear him quoted that way. Get out! He he more said like, get out! No, no, that's not it either. But anyway, get out! Anyway, (laughs) I'm I'm not getting it. But he distorted his voice when he said, he didn't say, get out! And then, but then he laughed and he said, that means come back. <laughs> but come back after you clean the temple. When you, he's, you must have this kind of conviction in order to practice just sitting. Someone said to me, what's the relationship between following the breathing 
and just sitting. What's the relationship between following the breath and just sitting? And I said, just sitting is following your breath without abiding in following your breath. Just sitting is being friendly to your breath. Being friendly to your breath, you give it up and don't abide in it. But you continue to be good friends to your breathing. There's a number of stories about students asking their teacher what their teacher's doing when they're sitting, still and silent. And there's a number of stories about the students asking the teacher what the teacher's doing, sitting still and silent. Like I told you some stories like that. The murderer is chasing the Buddha and the murderer stops and says, what are you doing? The murderer is asking the Buddha what the Buddha is doing when the Buddha is meditating. And the Buddha says, I'm doing friendship. In other words, I stopped, but not just have I stopped, you stop with me. What are you doing when you're meditating? I'm being your friend. I, I, I made this trip here to be with you. I went out of my way to be with a murderer because I knew he needed a friend. What are you doing? I'm here, I'm, I'm here to be your friend. And I'm being successful because now you're asking me what I'm, what I'm doing. You're inquiring about my meditation practice. My friendship is coming to, to uh, fruition. You're now interested in my life. You're interested in what, what am I doing? Well, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I've stopped, but I haven't just stopped. I've stopped in such a way that you stop too. That's the kind of stopping I want to do is a stopping where everybody stops with me. That's what I'm doing in my meditation. There are, <laughs> as I mentioned last time, I think it was the last time I was in New York, I mentioned that there are eight million stories in the naked city. Today I've told about three or four of them. There are many stories about friendship. And I'm trying to just suggest that 
All these Zen stories are stories about contemplating friendship. The kind of friendship that liberates beings from self-delusion and opens the door to understanding that self is others and others are self. That's what I tried to do by these stories today and yesterday and tomorrow. I wonder when sitting is the sitting a request? Is your sitting requesting? I wonder when you're sitting, is your sitting a response? I'm suggesting to you that the characteristic of the sitting and the walking and the reclining and the standing, the sitting of of the Buddhas is requesting. The sitting of the Buddhas is responding. Buddhas are sitting in response to a request. People are requesting Buddhas to come and sit so they can meet the Buddha and have a friendship. Buddhas are also requesting people to come and meet them. And they and the Zen style is to make the request sitting still and not saying anything. But sometimes they say something like, uh, I heard, I didn't hear him say this, but when Suzuki was first discovered in San Francisco by non-Japanese, he first went to San Francisco to be the priest of a Japanese congregation. And after some time, not too long, some non-Japanese Americans found out that there was a Zen teacher in a temple in Japantown. And when they met, and they met him and they said, I don't know what they said, but something like, would you be our friend? Or can we become Zen masters, please? And he said, well, I sit in the morning, you know, like before breakfast. You can come. So they started coming. They, they made a request of him. He invited them to come. And then they, and things went on from there between requ- him requesting and him responding and us requesting and us responding. When we sit, is, are you requesting all the Buddhas to come and meet you? Are you requesting great compassion to come here and live here? Are you requesting great wisdom to come here and live here in this world? Are you responding to all beings requesting you to give your life to them? I'm suggesting that when you sit in the space of this, inqu- this request and response, this is the characteristic. This is the, the, this is the, uh, the method 
that all the Buddhas and ancestors have done. Now all Buddhas and all ancestors who maintain the true Dharma have made it the true path of enlightenment to sit upright in the midst of requesting and responding. Requesting and responding. That's, they all have used this same meditation according to the ancestor Dogen. This is what they do. They're entering into this responsive relationship when they sit and entering into a sitting where there's this responsive relationship. This is the method used by all the Buddhas. And we are being invited to enter that. And we are invited to let it enter us. And there has to be some request. And again, the request and response, when you request, it's actually your request is a response to a request that you would request. Like sometimes people ask me, make requests of me, or they wish to make a request, but they can't quite say it. Like sometimes they want to receive the great bodhisattva precepts. So they often say, uh, they used to say, they don't say this so much anymore, but they used to say, can I sew? And I say, so what? They say, so Buddha's robe. I say, what do you want to do that for? I say, well, I'd like to receive the precepts. I say, oh. And sometimes people would ask me that, like on the street or in the snack room. Or And then I would say, well, maybe you could actually make an appointment where we could actually discuss this. And then they come to see me, and then they say, I want to receive the precepts. And I say, oh, great. I want to receive the ethical discipline of a bodhisattva. Wonderful. And and then I say, well, when you're ready to request the precepts, when you feel ready, then you can request them. And they say, I want to receive the precepts. I said, I, I understand what you want, but when you're ready to request, go right ahead. And they say, well, I want to receive the precepts. You can see how that is, right? But they, they, don't, they don't get it, that they're, they're continuing to state, I want a piece of pizza. Yeah, that's fine. I want the best pizza possible. That's great. When you, and so when you want the pizza, Ask for it. <laughs> okay, I want the pizza. I hear you. When, you. when you want the pizza, make a request. And then they say, oh, I request the precepts. And then something happens to them at that time. They, they feel the difference, the language change, that they actually did ask. If you say, that uh, you want pizza, even if I say, no, you don't, it doesn't bother you that much. You just think I'm strange. (laughs) But if you say, may I have a piece of pizza, and I say, no, you may not, that's different. And if you ask, you're more vulnerable. You're actually like opening up to pizza. You're opening up to the precepts by saying, I want them, 
and may I receive them? I'm requesting them. So then I we go from there. There is a request in Buddha's meditation. The Buddhas are responding to a request. In the space where there's a request for Buddhas, Buddhas are there. When you request the Buddhas to meet you, at that moment they are there. They are there at the same moment that you request. That's what they say. The word from the Buddhas is not when you request, then later they come. In the request is the response. If the request is slightly closed, then the response seems to be slightly closed, or doesn't, can't get in. The Buddhas have great power, but a little old deluded person can stop them. But also the Buddhas have great power and a little old sentient being cannot stop them and let them in. That, and that is both a response and a request. And this is a characteristic of just sitting. This is a characteristic of the true path of enlightenment that is transmitted by the Buddhas this type of meditation, this, this type of friendship. And uh, we worship Buddhas, but really we worship the relationship with Buddhas. I mean, Buddhas are great, but if you don't have a relationship with them, so what? I used to watch Suzuki Roshi, and I saw how much he loved some students. And I couldn't understand how they couldn't see it, you know, how much he appreciated them. They like, here he was offering his love and they had other things to do. You know, now that he's gone, everybody would like to meet him. <laughs> but at that time he was available and some people just you know, had other things to do. And, and I'm talking about people that he knew and just really wanted to give himself to. They were passing it up, passing up on it. Maybe I should have said, do you realize what, how much he wants to give to you and you're passing up? I, maybe I should have said that. But I didn't. I said, well, if you don't want him, I'll take him. <laughs> I just thought about this other story about the friendship between uh, the supposed founder of the Zen school in China. You know his name? Bodhidharma? Yeah, right. So he, apparently, he came from India and got them, somehow had a meeting with the emperor of the Liang dynasty. And, when, and they met and um, 
Bodhidharma did his best and the emperor did his best, but the emperor didn't understand who Bodhidharma was. And so Bodhidharma left and went and supposedly crossed the Yangtze and went to northern China and sat for nine years. Anyway, after Bodhidharma left, at some point the emperor said to his court teacher, who was that guy? And then the teacher said, well, that was Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. And then the emperor said, oh, well, in that case, let's, let's have him come back. And maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll be able to understand now that I understand who he is. And the teacher said, no, he won't come back. The teacher did not say, however, but if you cross the Yangtze and go up to Shaolin, you can meet him up there. But you'll have to give up everything to go up there, probably. Even if you just say, folks, I'm coming back to my emperorship later, Bodhidharma might say to you, did you give up your emperorship to come and see me? Anyway, he didn't go, and uh, so we have that sad story. So now that Sisgurish is gone, I just mentioned to you that he's recommending we have this kind of conviction when we sit to um, be friendly to what's going on when we're sitting to receive what's going on and to understand that what's going on is a request and also to make a request of what's going on and understand that that's a response to enter into this friendly practice with what's going on. What time is it now? What time is it? 11.33. Oh, is there anything you'd like to, any responses you care to offer to this discussion of Zen friendship or friend, friendly Zen? You answered a question that I was feeling last night. I answered a question that you were feeling? Yes. Mm -hmm. What was the question? During the last periods of Zaza's, uh, I wanted to come to you and ask, what, you know, what do you do when, uh, when you're totally sick of this? <laughs> and, oh, you got the answer, yeah. So t tell us what the answer is. Uh, it's, uh, the answer is something that, sick of this, but, uh, Right, totally, totally sick of this Buddha. <laughs> totally sick of this Buddha. So, th that, and that's called friendship. But how do you not identify with a uh, painful thought like, uh, I hate just this? <laughs> how do you not identify? Go ahead and identify. And then be identifying with, I hate this Buddha. I was asking, how do you not identify with that? Well, 
I just told you. The way you don't identify with, I hate this Buddha, is to identify with, I hate this Buddha, which you already have done. Just be, I, be the, you know, be, you get to be who you are. Just give up and surrender. Yeah, you, yeah, just give up and surrender, yeah. You get to be who you are, you just don't get to have who you are. You get to be who you are if you give it up. So, and the way you give it up, one way to give up is whatever it is, join the Zen family now. Buddha wants you. <laughs> get out. <laughs> and if you don't want to, yeah, and if you don't want to be friendly, get out. And come back when you're ready to be friendly with whatever. And if you say, well, I'm willing to be friendly, but, not, but I don't want to identify, well, be friendly to that, too. Can you be friendly with, uh, I can't stand this? Of course. Of course. Usually, when the, when the friend comes to visit the friend, and the friend says to the friend, I can't, I can't stand this, did you say? And usually, the friend says, I hear you. That's usually, the, usually the friend, usually when you say, I can't stand this, the friend just listens to you. When you're crying, I can't stand this, this lady says, I hear you. Or she doesn't necessarily even say, I hear you, but she just listens. She doesn't try to change the dials in your karmic consciousness to, from I can't stand this to I can stand this. You can also go to her and say, I can stand this. And she listens to you. Right? That's her job. She listens to you cry. She listens to you cry. I understand. I don't understand. I'm enlightened. I'm deluded. I can't stand this. She listens to you. Is that right? Is that her name? Is her, is her name listen to you? Is that her name? Yeah, that's her name. Her name means listen to you. That's she, that's her, her name is her job description. <laughs> she listens to all your cries. That's her name. Listening to the cries of John. Is your name John? Yes. Yeah. So in your case, she listens to the cries of John. Do you want this bodhisattva to live in your life? Yeah. And if she was, then you would listen to those cries. And if you listen to those cries, then that bodhisattva's alive in you. That's the friendship, right there. You can cry in whatever tone you want, and the friendship listens to you and welcomes you. And the friendship Is, is coming from somebody who's given up everything, who has no expectations that you're going to not talk like that. So if the, if, the, if the friend expects that the students are not going to say stuff like, I'm ready, I'm going to quit, you're a lousy teacher, Buddhism's no good, and all this is a waste of time, if the teacher is expecting that they won't talk like that, it makes it hard for the teacher to listen. 
but the teacher is supposed to give up everything so that she can listen to people crying in whatever way they are. So we need, all of us need to learn that. And the chant we did at the beginning is saying, please be compassionate to us and free us from karmic effects. Please be compassionate to us and free us from my resistance to being like you. Please free me from resistance to being everybody's friend, free from welcoming whatever cries are given to me. I want to learn that. Please help me. Please help me learn how to listen like you listen. And then from that listening, you know, there can be various things, like you can get up and take a walk. If somebody says, I'm going to murder you, you might say, just a second, I'm going to leave for a while. <laughs> you know, I'm going to take a walk. But it's coming from listening. And, then that, and that shows the person who's not being friendly to themselves or to you. It shows them friendship. And if you show the, and the friend, because the friend gives up everything, including the expectation that people will appreciate the friendship. Did you follow that? Then they can just keep being friendly. Because they, because they like to. But if you like to and then expect something, then that's going to undermine your friendship. You have to clean the temple first and then practice friendship and then clean it again, not expecting that people will appreciate your friendship or that they'll learn it. You want them to, but if they don't, you're friendly to them not learning it. It's okay with you. You want them to learn, but if they don't, you just want them to learn, but you don't expect that they will. It would be wonderful if they did, and when they say they want to, you think it's fabulous that they want to, but then karmic consciousness disorients them and they forget the point that they just said they were committed to. That's normal. Isn't, isn't that amazing? Yeah, I'm not, I, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm playfully serious about that. Oh, we can do it without the dawn. May our intention.